Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Ryan! This is Buddy Franklin! This is the greatest showman! Got the handball off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Razzle Dazzle Rioli. Oh, who else? McDonald. Timberwolf. From inside the centre square. Good time of day. Welcome to episode 91 of Americans Watching the Footy. This is our round seven preview. Coming to you from South San Francisco, California. I am Benjamin Castle alongside my brother, Ethan. I'm Ethan Castle. Okay, who put the question mark on the teleprompter? You know he reads everything you put up there. I'm not sure if we've used that before. If we have, I'm probably going to use it again. A lot of overlaps this round, so we'll definitely be dividing and conquering on both Saturday and Sunday, but before we get into talking about the games, it's definitely time for some news, everyone! That's right, first off, looks like the federal government is going to be providing $240 million funding for the Tasmanian Stadium. Already seen a few renderings with a retractable roof, so uh, this, this might really be happening finally. This funding and just the stadium in general was the biggest condition for expansion that the league had brought forward. So now that that domino's fallen, I think you're going to start seeing some more news around Team 19 pretty quickly. And hopefully a Team 20 comes with that. Yes, I'd like the thought of a Northern Territory team, but I think Canberra would be more feasible. There's also a distinct possibility of a third Western Australia team, just considering population and enthusiasm for the sport. Bunbury has been a locale that's been mentioned multiple times. We knew that the CEO announcement wouldn't happen until after that funding was secured, so expect it to be official this weekend that Andrew Dillon will be the next CEO succeeding Gil. You acted like this was the worst thing ever, and I'm not sure why. I was just disappointed that it ended up being so predictable. They spent a year and seven figures on hiring an outside agency and ended up hiring the guy across the hallway. When, I don't know, sometimes a different voice or someone from a different part of the sport is the right thing to do. Had some hopes of maybe Brenda Gale from Richmond or Kylie Watson-Wheeler from the Bulldogs getting picked. Here's my thing, though. The league is largely good right now, so why mess with it? Hopefully there's a message to the competition committee. Hey, don't change too much because you see a couple rule changes every year that everybody has to adjust to. The standing the mark is enough for the next little bit. That's a rule, by the way. It took me a while to embrace it, but I think it helps with offense because basically that in turns into, you know, you've got 17 guys to kick to and the other team has 17 guys to defend instead of 17 on 18. bit more about Andrew Dillon. He's the executive general manager of football operations, so one of the next guys down from Gill already. He's been with the league for 23 years. So yeah, I expect that it won't be that much of a change. I have really liked Gil just as a character these past couple years, getting to see the more public side of him. I hope he stays around and involved in some capacity, whether it's through media or something, because I'm just his he's having fun. His brother's a natural for the media, clearly. Always found that weird that, you know, one of the big presenters for Seven, the guy who does the announcements for grand final presentations and stuff. Oh, yeah, that's the CEO's brother. Well... The thing is, when you have someone who's like a relative of someone high ranking, just don't do stupid shit involving them, like calling someone a word that's totally normal in Australia, but not normal in America, when that's someone you're saying that to is the wife of the MLB vice president of communications. Oh, this is a this is a news story about uh, an ESPN reporter getting fired for saying that. And one who had a good track record and was pretty respected before this, too. Yeah, not uh, not quite so uh, respected after that. She'll go to Fox. She'll, she'll pop up somewhere, but it's honestly, it's more of a funny story than anything. 
I, I highly recommend you look into this if you get the chance. Reporter named Marley Rivera, MLB reporter. But enough talk about things that are off the oval for now. We don't want to waste too much time. So Friday night footy. No Thursday with the quick turnaround from Anzac Day this week. No Thursday for a while, actually, unfortunately. I think the next time we get Thursday footy will be during like some of the uh, bye I believe that's right. But we got St. Kilda and Port at Marvel Stadium, the typical 7.50 p.m. bounce Australian Eastern Standard Time. So 7.20 p.m. for South Australian viewers, 5.50 a.m. Eastern, 2.50 a.m. Pacific for American viewers. And this is going to be on Fox Sports 2. It's going to be a bit of a shorthanded port team coming into this one. We talk about St. Kilda obviously still missing some players, but they're starting to get the most important pieces back. Really, it's Max King. It's the main thing they're missing right now, and they don't seem to really be hurting without him for the moment. Yeah, Port will be missing Kane Farrell to a broken cheekbone. Tom Jonas suspended for a bump on Jai Coley and Todd Marshall out concussed. And remember... Mitch Georgiatis is not an option to fill in for Marshall because he tore his ACL. I imagine this means Ollie Lord stays up. Charlie Dixon is looking like a decent chance to play. But in terms of defensive cover, is Darcy Vernon Jones going to go back to more of a defensive role? Will Jace Burgoyne or Lockie Jones be brought back in? Lockie Jones hasn't played since Showdown, I believe, when he had a poor outing there and gave a goal to Riley Philthorpe and Riley let him know. That was a great exchange. You did that. I think Ryan Burton's role is going to be really interesting in all of this. Burton swung forward in the second half last week, kicked a goal, has shown well as a longer set shot, but has also been a somewhat reliable defensive piece. So where Ken Hankley decides to put him, I think will dictate a lot of the other list decisions for the power who come in in seventh on the ladder at four and two hot off a defeat of the Eagles. The Saints remained atop the ladder after defeating Carlton. They kicked well. They covered well. I can't say that about either of those teams from their matchup last year. You probably loved this one. Yeah, I actually was hoping that the meeting this year can kind of pay tribute to the tremendous game last year. So these teams met back in round seven last year out in Cairns and combined to kick 9-31. Port won this game 5-13-43 to 4-18-42, the winning score, a behind, because of course it was a behind, with 31 seconds left by Robbie Gray. I believe that's why they had such a big ceremony for him at Showdown, because he won them that game, which was just this is a tremendous display, you know, the, the noble sport of kings, if you will. So I'm thinking in honor of that game, should they have the roof open? Uh, I think the roof should be closed, but here's how I'm going about this. The spectators need to play their part in this game and play an active role. So every fan who comes to Marvel Stadium should bring a gallon bucket, fill it with water, and then just randomly dump it onto the players. Recreate that authentic cares atmosphere that we're not getting this year. The Saints aren't selling any home games anymore. This is actually just going to be the second meeting between these two sides in Melbourne and in Victoria since 2013 because they played a bunch in Adelaide, they played in Shanghai, they played in Cairns. And Port have won the last three meetings at 11 of the last 12. No new injury concerns for the Saints. That's that's nice with Tim Memory and Jack Steele back. I remember you really complimented Memory for how he played along with Jade Greshman, how they fed off each other. I'll be watching for that in this one. Some options in the reserves for the Saints. Jack Billings scored three goals, working his way back to full health. And Jack Vitell played well, too, so... These could become the Jacks again very, very soon. Saints favored by 12 and a half, which makes sense given who Port are going to be missing and the concerns that I have about where certain players will be positioned. I'm not sure about the final margin, but I I do think I'll be tipping the Saints. The over-under for this game, 156 and a half, which kind of seems high because of how the Saints play. Well, if the fans do their part and bring those gallon buckets... It'll certainly be under. I was actually talking on Twitter with someone who is going to be at this Friday night game, and that's Xavier Dersma's father, Dean, was talking to him after the Anzac Eve game. Great to get to know more people in Australia closely associated with the league, whether it's media, family, hopefully soon some players themselves. And 
I imagine I'll be talking with Dean a bit come November when the draft rolls around because Zane should be a pretty high pick. We move along to Saturday, and this is a five-game Saturday with two overlap windows. First up is a game that at the start of the year really looked like it would be a Rip Ticklin, Jimmy Rustlin delight. No giblets in this one? I guess that too. I guess the giblet tickler, but now this game does not appear to be so delightful because Rio's been so disappointing. The Dockers are headed to the Gabba, one of the longest trips in the entire league, and one of the toughest trips just to go to the Gabba in the first place. The Lions don't lose there in home and away all that often. I get this perception that it's probably a little bit easier to play there in the daytime, but maybe I'm just making that up. And this will be a daytime game, getting started in that usual early Saturday afternoon slot, 1.45 p.m. local time. If you're in Perth, 11.45 a.m., 11.45 p.m. Friday night on the East Coast of the United States. And on the West Coast, 8.45 p.m., this will be a Fox Soccer Plus game, a.k.a. Get Watch AFL if you don't already have it. You, you should already have it. It's, it's really cool. Lions enter at 4-2, having defeated the Giants in Canberra. Giants weren't an easy out, though. No, I mean, the Lions were clearly the superior team, but the Giants didn't roll over for them, whereas Frio, who fell to 2-4, kind of just decided that actually playing football was less important than talking shit to Rory Lobb in a very disappointing loss to the Western Bulldogs. They now sit down 13th on the ladder, which seemed unfathomable. I think they drank too many lobster tears. I want to try one of those. Can can whatever brewery made that ship a few here? I'd be welcome to it. It was a really fun game between these teams last year out at Optus Stadium. It was a 14-point win for the Dockers in round 12. Bailey Banfield should be in the 18, and he scored a career-high four goals in that game. Banfield just plays at a better clip when he's in the main squad rather than being a sub. I find that interesting. You know, there are some players like Nick Hind, for example, where them being the fresh legs later in the game suits them really well. I also just think Banfield's probably part of their best 22, but I have no idea what kind of lineup changes they swing this week. They're in such a weird spot where you have so many guys that are candidates to be dropped, but also a lot of those guys were pretty good last year. I have a feeling this is going to be one of those teams where like, we see their lineup when it gets announced, and it'll be like maybe the most surprising one. There's going to be someone dropped or included that we wouldn't have expected at all. Could we see Jayamas getting dropped out of nowhere? Well, actually, wouldn't it be out of nowhere necessarily because he was subbed out for Josh Corbett last week? I don't think that would be the right move, but it's one we could see. Um... We do know that Frio will be making one change because Michael Frederick suffered an adductor injury while kicking a goal last week. Not sure if that's really badass or really sad. It's sad-ass. But he kind of embodies the identity they need to embrace, and they haven't been doing that, and him being hurt probably just takes them further away from what they're supposed to do. Maybe Nathan O'Driscoll could be somewhat of a like-for-like like there. I, I did think a bit more outside. I don't think they're that similar. I think O'Driscoll's just a really gifted wing. Whereas Frederick, what he does as a forward, is pretty unique. I, I guess, yeah. I mean, in that case, Swatkowski, if he's healthy, could make some sense. He and Heath Chapman are both trying to return from calf injuries. O'Driscoll has been waiting his time in the reserves and has been playing well enough there. And who the hell knows what's going to happen with Nat Fife because he is super fragile. And his plantar fascia injury could just knock him out of another game out of nowhere. The Lions come in pretty good health-wise. Seems like it's about where they were at this stage last year as well. The one thing that I'm wondering, though, is could we see Darcy Ford get back into the side? Do they want that extra ruck support to match up against Sean Darcy? I mean, Joe Danaher plays better when he gets some of that ruck time, but do they want to split the duties in ruck even more? I really like that they've let Danaher play in so many different spots in the last couple of weeks, and I think it's worked really well. He's done some good work along the wing. He's shown off his versatility to be more than just tall guy, take mark, kicked goal. Same thing with Eric Hipwood. And uh, the most recent article from Cody Atkinson and Sean Lawson for um, ABC talked about how Brisbane are going without that one key guy and are splitting things up between Danaher and Hipwood 
the role that Charlie Cameron plays amid the talls as well. The point is, the Lions are not that predictable week to week as to what their offensive plan is, and that's been a plus for them. I think in time, we're going to see Eric Hipwood be more and more authoritative. That's the one thing that we haven't necessarily seen week in and week out yet. We'll get there. Lions favored by 33 and a half. If you had told me that just a few weeks ago, I would have looked at you like you're insane, but makes sense. I might put it back within another goal, but it is at the GABA. These teams will rematch round 21 at Optus Stadium. Who knows what position to Frio we're going to be in by then. I, I think the least likely outcome in this game is a close Brisbane win. I think they could win by a lot, or Frio could finally silence some of the doubters and pull one out. Pull what out? A win? Words. Yeah, a common theme for this round, rematches. Seven of nine matchups this round are double-ups, so you'll have the reverse fixtures anywhere between rounds 15 and, I think, 22. Another one of those double-ups, obviously, is the Sydney Derby. We're going to have Sydney Derby 25 already, and this will be the Swans hosting at the SCG, so the Giants will be wearing their awesome charcoal clash jumpers, their never-surrender look. One of the best clashes in the league, and I like that the Giants are so willing to wear it. If only Victorian teams were so willing to use their clash jumpers. The never surrender thing, I really hope it actually carries to what they do on the field because this is a game I'm going to be watching and I hope to be entertained and I don't know if I will be. A lot of Americans will be able to view this because this will be on Fox Sports 2. A 9.10 p.m. bounce on the West Coast of the U.S., so 12.10 a.m. early Saturday on the East Coast. A 2.10 p.m. bounce at BSCG. The Swans lead the overall series 15 to 9, and they won both games last year. They won by 20 in a technical Giants home game at Stadium Australia in round one, and then bludgeoned the Giants by 73 at the SCG in round 20. That was a game after which I remember Mark McVeigh called out a lot of his players for not staying in it mentally. And it seemed to get the desired result. Whereas, you know, when when uh, David Noble did it, it was like the worst thing anyone's ever done to anybody. Don't think I would have expected these teams to be just two places apart on the ladder this time this year. If you told me GWS would be two and four, I mean, I could see it considering how their schedule started off. I, I guess I probably would have anticipated one and five, but I, I could see how they would have gotten to two and four. I wouldn't have expected one of those wins to be over the Crows, but sometimes you forget these guys are just like the round one gods. Swans 3-3, three and three, and their percentage took a big hit last week. Swans, with some more injury turnover, Robbie Fox got concussed last week on an unfortunate collision with Mitch Duncan that a lot of people are butthurt about, but I really think it was just a normal collision. Not all collisions are suspension-worthy. And then Matt Roberts copped a knee injury as well, so just add it to the injury list, and it's started to become a laundry list, like, I'd be much more scared of this than a floating shopping list. Oh my gosh! A floating shopping list! Ah! They could get Buddy Franklin back from a knee injury. Also, Tom McCartan could be back from his concussion. Seems like Patty McCartan's still a way off, just considering his injury history, which makes sense. Dean Rampey's more of an outside chance to return from his neck injury. I didn't anticipate this taking multiple weeks, but here we are. Meanwhile, the Giants will have to make three changes. Adam Kennedy tore his ACL after getting bumped out of bounds by Kadeen Coleman. So he's done for the year. That's his second ACL tear. Callan Ward got suspended for a dangerous tackle of Lockie Neal, and that's one that was a bit controversial because of how Neal gave himself up in the tackle. And then Sam Taylor hurt his hamstring and is going to be out for about 10 weeks. Yeah, this is like a severe hamstring injury, not unlike the one Joel Amardi suffered, I guess. And that Taylor injury is going to make it even tougher for this team to defend. It's going to put some of the onus on Nick Haynes, who I think has already been pretty actively involved for a while. I imagine Harry Himmelberg will spend much more time back, and Connor Iden will need to be a more consistent intercept defender. A lot of this, though, could depend on whether or not Phil Davis is good to go. And he's someone who knows a thing or two about hamstrings. He also knows a lot about stopping Buddy Franklin, although Buddy may also just be at that point in his career where it's just kind of closer to over than anyone would like to admit. A lot of uncertainty around this one. 
we don't have the teams yet as we're recording, so a lot of speculation on our part. The line could definitely shift, but Sydney are currently favored by 25.5 on Bovada. I could see this game going from anywhere between a Swans blowout to a three-goal Giants win. I think it's highly unlikely for the Giants to win this game. I think it would be badass if they did. If they do, it's not going to be by, by more than three goals. That's the main thing for me. I just, I don't see it as likely. Also, remember, it's 15-6 to six in the Swans' favor in home and away games. The Giants have won all three finals matchups, including that awesome one-point elimination final win in Launceston in 2021. The, the history of GWS and finals is so bizarre and like doesn't match up with the rest of their history at all. So I, I enjoy studying it, especially because they're the newest team in the league. It makes it all that much weirder. So with this five game Saturday, you're not going to have like a single standalone game. In fact, the Friday nighter is the only game all around that gets to be completely by itself. But other than the first few minutes, the Bulldogs and Hawks should have just about their entire window to themselves. This one gets underway, of course, 4.35 p.m. Saturday in Australia, in the eastern part of the country, 2.35 a.m. Saturday on the east coast of the United States. And for those of us chilling here on the west coast of the United States, it's at 11.35 p.m. This will be another... Fox Soccer Plus game. This is a Bulldogs home game at Marvel. Dogs enter at 3-3. Three and three. They're at 11th after their win over the perpetually disappointing Dockers, while Hawthorne sits at 1-5. They're in dead last. Having said that, the Hawks have lost their last two games by a combined five points, so the record could be a little misleading. I really haven't gotten to watch them that closely over the last couple of weeks, so I am going to actually be watching some of their recent games as we get ready for this round. Good. Well, they'll be looking a bit different this time because Mitch Lewis will be back for his first game of the year, coming straight in. No VFL time for him. Will Day's available from suspension, and they'll be debuting two players. Max Ramsden, their midseason pick last year, and pick number 18 from the national draft in November, Josh Weddle. Ramsden is a tall who a lot of people have been calling for for a while. Makes sense that with Max Lynch concussed for the ninth time in his career, Ramsden gets the opportunity. On the Bulldog side, Tom Libertore is concussed. Got kind of sandwiched between two guys late in the win over Frio last week. Andrew Brayshaw and Michael Walters, I believe. Nothing malicious to it. Nothing special. Can that commercial please go? Can we bring back Stephen Canelio's eyebrow instead? Or just, hmm, primo. That was a good one, too. It was easy to remember the lines. Probably an easy one to act in, I would think. But looks like Bailey Smith should be back from his calf injury, and Marcus Bonampelli will be playing game number 200. Cool that it's a home game. You know, I meant to mention that I thought it was kind of shitty that Todd Goldstein's 300th was up at Gold Coast instead of at home. Scott Pendlebury's 350th was in Adelaide. Could you see a team, like, managing someone to make sure they had a milestone at home? I feel like at times it's been maybe not, like, the priority, but also not, like, completely unintentional. Danger managed to have 300 at home. These teams played twice last year. Dogs won the first meeting by 42 in round 15. Riley West, that was his breakout game, a three-goal performance. I remember, I believe that was one more of those games where the Hawks, you know, they got out to a hot start and then reality kind of set in. And then... In the closing round last year was a must-win for the Dogs, and despite wind really factoring into the game, I remember it favored one end of the round in particular. Bulldogs did win in Launceston by 23. Work Smith kicked three goals straight, and then they watched on in their rooms as their finals place was secured, thanks to Corey Durden giving the ball away to Jeremy Howe. They'll be playing at Utah's again this year in round 22. You know how Hawthorne, like last week, did a good job never giving up more than two goals in a row. Yeah, what about it? Well, when they played last year against the Hawks, they got down big early and then kicked 13 in a row. So 13! 13! <laughs> that was kind of the struggle for Hawthorne at the time, and it's something that's carried over. Been better about it the last couple of weeks. Look, the thing with Hawthorne is going to be when they get into another close game, can they finish it? 
because they haven't been able to do that. And I don't know if this is going to be the chance to do that because the dogs are playing pretty well right now. I think Liam Jones deserves a ton of credit for his performance. And I think Bailey Williams has really established himself as one of their core pieces. Bailey L. Williams, although lately he should probably be Bailey W. Williams. And Tim English has stayed healthy. Please stay that way. He's the All-Australian Ruck right now, even though he's so much more than that. This is going to be Hawthorne's biggest test in the midfield since round one with the dogs maybe getting even healthier through there. And Bonapelli could easily overpower any and all of them, maybe except Connor Nash if he gets particularly daring. We want to see the Hawks finish a tight game properly. I don't think if you, I don't think it's going to happen in this one. I'm going to give you their schedule between now and the bye, and I want you to tell me if any of those games are going to probably provide that chance. Eagles round 10 in Tasmania. Well, I mean, you could also say, oh, they're just going to win that one comfortably like they did against North. But um, next week at Frio, then D's at the G, Eagles in Tasmania, Saints at Marvel, at Port, Lions at the G. It's going to be one of those Western games. They could, I could totally see them winning after the siren against Frio. It would be so funny if it were Lloyd Meek too. Hopefully he comes back in for that game. Oh, that would be so. How much are Frio fans going to boo Lloyd Meek? Probably not much. Uh, he really didn't factor into their plans. Unfortunate that he didn't. I think fortunate for the Hawks. I think after the bye when they play at Gold Coast is going to be a really good chance to do that. They also have a game at GWS a couple weeks after, a rematch with North. We're just really future-proofing ourselves here. Um, Bulldogs favored by 27 and a half. Seems fair. This could go wildly out of Hawthorne's. This could go way into like the 50s or 60s or beyond. I'm hoping it doesn't. I, I think the Hawks won't get completely embarrassed. If they do, it'll be one of those, you know, hot start, fall apart type games. I don't think it's going to be like, you know, the Swans last week where they didn't look competitive for any more than like five total minutes all game. There will be at least a stretch in which they look competitive. Is that is that setting the bar really low? I don't think it is. The Hawks and Eagles are both capable of that. And I think North are capable of that, too. I think they're actually the ones where it might be toughest, especially with what Melbourne have going forward. And that's going to be the next game that bounces at 7.25 p.m. local time at the G. This could be a pretty low crowd for a game at the G. 5.25 a.m. Eastern, 2.25 a.m. Pacific for American audiences. If you want to see a flag contender probably going at their best, turn to Fox Sports 2. I imagine this one will get pretty one-sided. I hope this does end up being a well-attended game. You know, the the crowd at Anzac Eve was like a pretty good mix of D's and Tigers, so hopefully it was majority Tigers. Don't, don't mince. Majority, but not like overwhelming. There was a good turnout by the Demon fans, and I hope they keep turning out because they seem like a pretty likable group. The Amos family is awesome, by the way. And shout out to one of the best Twitter account names, Angus Brayshaw's Helmet. We interact with him a decent amount, talking about some non-footy things as well, but really getting into some uh, D's analysis as well. Demons enter at 4-2. They're in third. They have the best percentage of the teams that are 4-2 because they're only uh, two teams of 5-1. There's been a lot of parity so far. North sit at 2-4. They're in 15th. They are currently on a four-game losing streak. These teams met just once last year, and it was kind of telling about just where North were at the time. I remember this, yeah. Um, the People complimented North for hanging with Melbourne for most of the first half, and Kingy was having none of that. Not just as a North Melbourne guy himself, but as an analyst. I, I would be so fed up with that, too. Like, this is the kind of bar you're setting for North, that you're praising them for that sort of performance where they ended up losing by 47? I think the next few weeks are going to be pretty tough sledding. They've got the Saints next week, then Port at Tasmania. Boo! Swans at home, Collingwood at Marvel, though it's a Collingwood home game. Essendon at Marvel, and then back to Tasmania to host GWS in round 13. So maybe maybe things will look a little better there. I just don't like that they're playing Port in Tasmania. The booing was not booing Jason Horn Francis. It's the fixturing of that game at one stone rather than in Victoria. They didn't get totally embarrassed against Carlton. The last two rounds have been pretty rough, and I think these next six could be 
largely more of the same. So I, I hope to have something positive to report on. Even if they lose, I'd like to see them just stay in games and have some new player that I hadn't thought of, whether it's, you know, a new addition altogether or just a player that I haven't thought much of. Well, George Wardlaw is looking closer and closer to making an AFL debut. Could get the call this week. Not sure if he does. It's going to happen soon, and I'll be excited to just watch another prospect make his debut for a side that should be full of youth. Um, haven't really talked about Caleb Coleman-Jones this year because Charlie Coleman has been playing up, and Coleman-Jones started this year injured, but he's done well enough in the reserves that he could get a chance. If he, you know, doesn't get into nightclub fights, I think he ended the season on OK note last year. The biggest thing that could help North stick in this game if they do is if Jai Simpkin returns, and he's a chance to return from his hand injury. Luke Davies Uniac really struggled without Simpkin out there last week, which I don't think is a coincidence at all. I think in order to hang in there against the likes of Clayton Oliver and Christian Petraka, you really need those guys. You need both of them. It was just too predictable for Davies Uniac to be double teamed a lot in the middle. And with the depth that the D's have, they could easily do that again if Simpkin doesn't play. Demons enter in pretty good health. In the VFL, Josh Yaki had a four-goal game a couple weeks ago. Also, Luke Dunstan and James Harms have been playing well. I would think at some point, Harms is going to have to be back in. I don't know if it's going to be until, you know, someone's hurt, but or just as a sub instead of James Jordan or Jake Melksham. Or someone gets managed at some point, although with the youth on this team, you don't see too many guys that are kind of candidates to get managed. No, not in the midfield in particular. And I'm glad that they really put games into some of those younger players this year. We've already had three players debut from, from Melbourne. That's more than they had all of last year. Jacob Van Royen looks like someone who's going to be staying in the mix, worked through a quiet first three quarters to really help win the game for the D's in the fourth. Something about the way he plays that I just really like. I don't know what exactly it is. Maybe it's just that he looks so polished already. There's something fun about watching that guy on the field. Dees and Kangas will also play out of Blundstone Arena round 21, so maybe Ben Brown gets another chance to play in his home state. Demons favored by 44 and a half, which I hate that that's kind of fair. I probably would put it about six points lower. I, I, I would have gone like 35 or so. Pushing it out past six goals for any line is a bit of a stretch. I think 38 and a half would be the appropriate spot. If Ben McKay and Griffin Loeb still don't have their act together, then this could really get out of hand. And the real issue there for Ben McKay is um, he's going to have to be all the way across the country at the same time. But we'll talk more about that when we come back. As a reminder, we are on Twitter and YouTube at Americans Footy. Individually, I am on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. Individually, I am on Twitter at Castle Media, and my son, Brian Harambe, is, of course, on Instagram at CatNameBrian. He is also right here. He was yelling outside the door when we were doing that last game preview, so he might end up on the audio a little bit. Not sure if he will be. I hope he does, because he has a great voice. For the size of the cat he is, his voice is super high-pitched, and I love it, and we love him. So before the break, I mentioned that Ben McKay or whatever, uh, Barry, will need to be playing in two games across the country at the same time. So to which game will he dedicate greater attention, I imagine? It'll be the Chris Judd Cup between the Eagles and Blues. Did we talk about him actually being just one person named Barry before? Yes, we have. Okay, good, because I was just thinking about it while I was moving my laundry from the washing machine to the dryer. Yeah, um... Of course, Barry. I didn't look at this game at the start of the year as one I really thought would be important for the Blues to win, but they're sitting at 3-2-1 and one in a very unconvincing eighth with a pretty shitty percentage. Not that, like, here's the thing with percentage that I've noticed. It's kind of amplified at the start of the season and then usually ends up taking care of itself more often than not. But right now they are well below 100%. Neither of the Coleman medalists has put together a complete game the past couple weeks. Harry, or sorry, Barry, is looking out of sorts. I mean, he's been more focused on being North's only defenseman worth shit, and he hasn't even been able to do that. Whereas, like, look, at 
at Carlton, at least, you know, he's got other good forwards, just most of them haven't stepped up. I want to see Corey Durden step up, as I've said. Well, Jesse Motloff won't be able to step up because he was suspended for the dangerous tackle of Dougal Howard. So even more of an opportunity for Durden and for Jack Silvani. Looking at the other side of the oval, we could hear some barking because Adam Saad could return from his hamstring injury. Potential look? I'm going to give the Eagles injury report this time, or like, here are the updates on it, because if we gave their whole injury report, that would be like most of an episode by itself. Both these teams have really long injury reports, actually, but um, Luke Shuey's going to be out for a month with like a combination of ankle and hamstring injuries. Shannon Hearn does look likely to return from, I guess, just general soreness. He was managed for the gather round. There's that sound bite again and then was kept out last week. Campbell Chesser, Elijah, no relation to George Hewitt, and Noah Long all appear to be two to three weeks away from returning from their respective injuries. Unfortunately, I really think this does need to be the end of the line for Shuey this year. His soft tissue injuries are piling up and taking him out of too many games, and at least I think he might need to stand down for the captaincy and start that transition if he doesn't straight up retire. He's done so much for the club, and it hurts to see him be out so much. By the way, this will be a 5.30 p.m. local bounce in Perth, 7.30 p.m. in the Pacific states of Australia. For Americans, 5.30 a.m. Eastern, 2.30 a.m. Pacific on Saturday the 29th. This will be a Fox Soccer Plus broadcast, so I'll just have Watch AFL up, and uh, we'll see how disappointed I am. I mean... Can I be more disappointed in a 1-5 team if they lose by more than 63? Because that's what happened last year. Charlie Curnell and Mackay both kicked 5-3 in that game last year. What I'm actually looking forward to about this game is the banter between uh, Steez and the Don, a couple of our fellow American footy watchers and members of our fantasy league. They're also content creators, and one of them's a Blues fan, the other's an Eagles fan. So hopefully they do a live watch for this game. If so, I'll definitely be chiming in on there at least in the chat so i guess there could be more than just a bit of banter here just a bit of banter blues 26 and a half point favorites it's not more i guess because of the poor goal kicking form and maybe because they're going to perth the fact that it's only 26 and a half feels like an indictment against carlton but i think i would honestly just look at this as yeah it's it's the trip to perth it is what it is that said i would hope that the Blues, after their last couple performances, are coming out angry, ready to kind of right some wrongs there and put up like a 50-plus point win. If if they don't win by 50-plus, I hope it's because we're saying the Eagles put up a decent fight with their limited resources rather than just the Blues won because they're the less shitty unit that got on the field. I'm going to be paying some close attention to Mark Pitton at this game. I know we've both been somewhat critical of him, but he's been strong as a hit-out-to-advantage Ruckman. He just doesn't have that as much of that use in other parts of the oval, but with Tom DeConning slipping for him and maybe him getting on the beers after the Geelong game this past week, uh, I mean, Pitnett's clearly the guy. Just my thing is, remember last year they needed Pitnett so much, and then this year it's like, is he really doing that much? I'm not sure if we've given him enough credit or not, yeah, 45% of his hitouts have been to advantage. That leaves the league through round six. I mean, definite potential for that to continue against whatever the hell the Eagles are going to throw up there. Carlton will play host to the Eagles at Marvel Stadium in round 19. That would never be a game that gets played at the G. I mean, maybe in a world where the Eagles are really good. Now, uh, what about Tom DeConing's likely future team? The Cats open up the Sunday triple header against Essendon in a game that I'm a little uncertain about. So this is the country footy game. Gets going 1.10 p.m. at the MCG on Sunday. So it'll be the fourth Caps appearance at the MCG already this year, second in which they'll be the away team. 11.10 p.m. Saturday night, Eastern Time in the U.S., 8.10 p.m. Saturday night for me here on the West Coast. This will be a Fox Soccer Plus game. Cats come in on pretty good form, I'll say. Uh, I mean, they haven't played against a really convincing opponent for any of those three wins. Look, the Swans, even with what they were missing, that's still a, a solid team. I think it was 16 players from the grand final, 22, but 
the six were a pretty important six. Where do you see the biggest problem spot for Geelong against the Bombers who enter at 4-2 and in fourth? Not having Reese Stanley because that means John Segler probably has to slot back in, even though they played quite well without him last week. He was on paternity leave, missed a day of training, so they decided, you know what, screw it, we're just going to have Mark Blitzobs and Lone Sam DeConing in rough duties. I mean, DeConing played pretty much everywhere. Also, I guess they're going to have to probably find a way to get Jed Buse back in from his concussion. Again, I mentioned on the round six recap, this seems like a spot where you can manage Zach Tui. I just want to mention something you can mention. Can you guess what Geelong's percentage has been over the last three games? 246. 230. Okay. Uh, that was like complete blind guess. I didn't have the exact score lines in my head. So, I mean, I knew it was above 200. But yeah, I would love to be able to roll with the exact lineup they did last week. I think someone gets squeezed out, whether it's Sam Simpson or, you know, you manage like, you know, Zap Tui or, I mean, I know he just missed a game, but like Gary Rowan or. Shit, trying to think of who else. I mean, you can't manage danger here. That's pretty obvious, especially when Zach Merritt's going to be back from suspension. There will be a game to manage him at some point against, I don't know, someone at the bottom. This is not that game. If it wasn't for having both Phillips and Draper, I'd say just go with Blitzovs and DeConing. I mean, I, I could see it even still happening. I have like an outside chance just because Essendon doesn't have... All their tall forwards healthy, obviously. I mean, Sam Wiedemann's the main matchup there. Tom Stewart could take care of that by himself. The way I would do it is if everyone's healthy and all goes according to plan, you can sub out Segler eventually if everyone's playing well enough that he's not really needed. That's obviously like the dream scenario involving everyone staying healthy and everyone playing their absolute best. But who would you see as a, as a good sub candidate then? In that case, would Tui's versatility help? I think Taylor Bruin, if we're thinking versatility, or maybe you just try to find a way to slide Sam Simpson into that role because he put up a performance that proved that he belongs in the 22. Yeah, Bruin was completely left out again, I just realized. I think Bruin will grow into his role at some point. We've seen that already with Jack Bowes starting to figure out what's expected of him. So, like, it's tough that Bruin has to be in this spot now where... He doesn't get to do that right away, and instead of, like, learning on the fly, has to take his long speed at the VFL level. One other thing that's in Geelong's favor going into this game is that Jaden Laverty is doubtful, injured his shoulder, and was subbed out on Anzac Day, and a five-day turnaround means it's going to be tough for him to get back in so easily. And with Nick Hyde likely staying in defense as a result, I've got some questions about, you know, defensive 50 viability against Jeremy Cameron and Tom Hawkins. I don't think this is a great defensive team to begin with. And then you throw in who they're going up against. It means that Hind and Mason Redmond will need to do more of that stay-home work in order for them to not bleed marks inside 50, I think. Otherwise, Jordan Ridley's going to end up being caught between those key forwards and not be able to effectively guard against either of them. One thing going in Essendon's favor, though, is that the designated home team has won each of the last seven meetings in this game. Geelong have been that home team the last four times, including a 66-point win last year in round one, in which Tom Hawkins and Tyson Stengel each had four goals. Nick Martin kicked five, but they were mostly in garbage time, and yet he was the rising star of that round. Although I thought Josh Rochelle should have been the rising star. Rochelle had a huge game, both ultimately lost. Rochelle's was by one in the game Benjamin thinks about in the tub all the time. But yeah, the Cats putting up 138 against them. Like, I, I think there's a good opportunity to put up another big offensive number just considering what Essendon lacks defensively. I think the Bombers can keep up. You know, having a healthy Kyle Lineford will help. Remember, he got hurt very early in that game last year. Also, it was probably the worst game of Sam Draper's career. And he played so much better after that. So like, my perception of Essendon as the year went on, last year obviously was not good. I don't think anyone had a good perception of them, but like my perception of Sam Draper greatly improved because he looked so bad in that game. But what I loved was Geelong 
running through the corridor and just lamming Essendon in the mouth all game long. I hope they're able to do that. We saw a lot of that last week, especially with Dangerfield being so effective from bounces. Favored by 19 and a half. By the way, these teams will meet again round 18 at Geelong. Essendon actually have to go down the highway. It's like usually a big Victorian club doesn't have to do that. But I guess Essendon's performance the last few years, this is this is their punishment? Or should they just get moved off Anzac Day? Now they've played well enough to stay in there. If they lose another green time, though, we can start to talk about that. Mostly a joke about the Anzac one. It's like how people are saying North should lose Good Friday. As I've said, North kind of made their case to be in the Good Friday game this year, even though they didn't end up staying in it. Keep it as North and Carlton. Keep it for next year. See, it's funny. It's like the Bulldogs got kicked off of it despite doing nothing, Roland. No, despite Josh Bruce kicking 10. You know who's really getting punished this week by the AFL, though? Richmond. Oh, yes. This is... This is the one. Yeah, um, not only have they started 1-4-1, and but they have to face their worst fear. It's not the Suns that's the fear, even though both of the Suns after the Siren wins have come against the Tigers. Thank you, Carmichael Hunt, and thank you, Noah Anderson, who did it last year. If you remember that game in round 17... Richmond led by 40 during the third and by 28 at three-quarter time. And then we didn't see the last mark because Fox Footy decided to cut to Dimma's reaction after, I think it was Sam Day had a mark near the boundary line. But I find it really funny that Anderson grew up a Richmond supporter and ended up being the one to sink the Tigers. Um, the punishment for that and for so much more is the Tigers have a home game at Marvel Stadium. Richmond haven't had their annual shit fit about it yet, maybe because they've got so many other things that they need to deal with first, like winning games and playing a good fourth quarter. Again, in 12 of the 14 games, they haven't won since the start of last season. They have led in the fourth quarter. Their one home game at Marvel last year was a memorable one, and I... I had just gone to the schedule to search for it because I know they always have like one per year. And I forgot because I remembered this game for everything except the fact that it was at Marvel. It was the uh, Noah Cumberland playing on game. Oh, you mean the uh, taking too long to kick and getting smothered by Michael Frederick game? I hope people don't think we're just using this as an opportunity to rip on the Tigers. because That's what these few minutes have been. But um, if they don't win this game, I think they're fucked. It's not so much about the one five and one. I and mean, you look at the teams they've played, they, their one win is actually a win that looks better and better. Crows at Adelaide, which, like, if Collingwood can't beat them this week, that looks even better. But if you look a couple weeks out for them, rounds 9 through 11, they've got the Cats, the Ballers for Dreamtime, and then hosting Port. And then it heats up for them post-buy as well, having to face three of last year's top four. So there's no margin for error. And for more fourth quarter shenanigans for the Tigers at this point. If they're going to have fourth quarter shenanigans, they better be up like six goals or more before they do it. They'll get some defensive help in the form of Nathan Broad, who will return from his four game suspension for the really stupid late tackle on Patrick Parnell. And then Jack Graham could also come back from his hamstring injury. Jack Graham, the OG octopus. Correct. And I guess he could end up replacing someone else who's out with a hamstring injury in Morris Rioli Jr. That doesn't seem to be a super major hamstring injury, but one that keeps him out for this week, if not a couple. The other thing to note about Richmond is that I don't think they're going to get as much help from the neon shirts this week. The umpiring was so bad last week. Like, I, it's hard to find the words. I'm glad it didn't end up deciding the game. Richmond ended up deciding the game in their own way. They couldn't kick straight, and then the D's made them pay. I believe it was five missed set shots in a row as Jacob Van Royen and Melbourne's younger group really helped them along in the fourth. On the Sun side, Tuke Miller did not tear his ACL, but did tear his meniscus, so he'll be out. What's listed as short to medium term, so using Geelong Cats terminology here clearly, so on the Sun side, not the sunny side, by the way, just wanted to make sure that was... Very clear there. So I guess three to five weeks. Uh, Bailey Humphrey could be elevated into the 22. I'm surprised he hasn't been already because he's really good. 
Meanwhile, if you're looking for who's going to end up taking more of that midfield time, I mean, obviously, you'll see Matt Rallaby on the ball more, but I imagine this will present a good opportunity for Braden Fiorini to get more into the action. I imagine Fiorini will be an extended bench guy in this game at the least, and we're getting toward the point where teams are probably going to be out soon. We haven't checked yet. Tigers favored by 15 and a half. This is one of those where the line is just like the average of all the possible outcomes instead of what the most likely outcome is. I, I think they win this game by more. I think they do as well. If the Suns win, I think it's going to be close again. Imagine if it's after the siren for the third time against Richmond at a third venue. Because remember that Carmichael Hunt one was in Cairns. And then there's the Sunday Twilight game at the Adelaide Oval between the Crows and Pies. This has the makings of like a marquee NFL Sunday night football matchup. You don't usually see the last game of the round be this high profile, unless, of course, it's, you know, Anzac Day. I'd like to see the AFL do this more. I know Sunday is usually reserved for, like, community footing and stuff, but I think it's really fun to end the round with a big game that has people talking, and they could not have anticipated this being that big game very clearly. But I'm so glad it is. Sun should be setting sometime in the middle of the game. It will be a 4.10 local time bounce, so 4.40 in Victoria. For those of us in the U.S., 11.40 p.m. on the West Coast on Saturday. If you're on the East Coast, 2.40 a.m. Sunday. Also, if you're on the East Coast, hope you're enjoying the future. Future! Future! Adelaide having won four in a row. And they really had to sweat it out to kick the last couple goals and defeat Hawthorne. It was the younger part of the list that ended up coming through in the end with Isaac Reagan and Darcy Fogarty kicking the last couple goals. And I'm glad that Matthew Nix just let things play out. It was a good test for a young list. And they passed. They won. Was it pretty? No, but they won. So Crows fans, I think, had the right reaction to this game it was like never talk about it again we have four points that that fogarty goal uh, that fogarty set shot though that took ball Collingwood under at five and one they've now won back-to-back games their only loss was at the gaba let's consider that this is a tough place to play and that the crows nearly won last year when they hosted the pies in round 18 i forgot this was a double up honestly because i forgot that round two game which was just really forgettable in the scheme of what Collingwood's season was. It was an easy 42-point win for them. But it was the fire alarm game. Oh! Oh, gosh, it was! Because I was, as I've said before, I was at dinner with a friend, had it on my phone, was like, wait, why are they not playing? We thought it was a false alarm. That was what it was said. No, I think there actually was a fire at a concession, but it was extinguished pretty quickly. Anyway, the rematch was a terrific game where Adelaide, led by 16, Collingwood returned fire with four in a row, held on to win in Scott Pendlebury's 350th game. Nick Dacos had 40 disposals and three goals, and the Pies have now won six straight head-to-head meetings, but to get to seven is not going to be easy. Pendlebury should be okay to play in this one, by the way. He wasn't in for the last 20-plus minutes running time of the fourth quarter after getting poked in the eye. This was not just like... uh, a little one. I mean, his eye was like kind of swollen and red. You know, it, it probably made Collingwood people worry because of what Mason Cox has had to go through when he's gotten his eyes poked and the retinal damage that he suffered from that. But seems like this is less severe for Pendlebury, thankfully. The other big watch for the Pies is if Nathan Murphy can get through concussion protocol. Him matching up one-on-one with Walker or Fogarty would be a real focus for me. I think logically he would probably start on Walker, but you could make that adjustment mid-game if needed. You know, Fogarty's a bit more mobile, whereas Walker is usually just in the forward 50. Actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, I think Walker, as good as he is, is the simpler assignment. So maybe you do go just Murphy off Fogarty. Good news on the injury front for Aiden Begg, one of Collingwood's rucks. He could return for a back ailment, but may have to wait the VFL. Seemed outsized and just not ready to play at the top level last year, so not sure how he was thought of over the summer. On Adelaide's side, Rory Laird is doubtful with calf tightness as his fantasy owner. Good news is I wasn't planning on making my captain anyway. I was planning on going with one of his teammates, Riley O'Brien, who 
will probably be matched up pretty firmly with Billy Frampton, who we'll see what sort of reception he gets. I hope the Collingwood fans who are there cheer super loudly whenever Frampton gets the ball to try to counteract the booze. I think it would be, I don't know, it would seem kind of out of character, but I think that would be funny. It seems like the Pies have pretty good support in South Australia. I mean, they also probably have a lot of fans that flew in for the... Gather around. Look, they, they get support wherever they go. It's Collingwood. They're, they're kind of popular. They, along with Richmond, probably have the best national support. Like, the Swans obviously have, a, have New South Wales plus a good Melbourne base, but they don't have quite as much elsewhere. I mean, I guess they've got decent support in the West, but not, not to the level of a Collingwood or Richmond or maybe even Essendon. You know, Essendon's got that big Western base. But, yeah, O'Brien matching up against a team that still probably doesn't have a true Ruckman. That's got to be my captain this week. I also have Sam Draper, but considering how much work Andrew Phillips does, I don't know if that would be such a prudent move, but it's nice to have both. In the Sandful last week, or actually on one of the Marmalade videos, actually said S-A-N-F-L, so maybe people don't just sound it out. I don't know, but Patrick Parnell returned from a concussion and played well, but Shane McAdam hurt his quad. I don't think you get too many changes for the Crows beyond someone likely having to come in for Laird. In that case, you can see it being Jackson Haley or Matt Crouch who have put up big possession numbers. I think Crouch would be that guy. Playing without Laird, I mean, it's just a couple people are going to have to step up. Maybe you can see Jordan Dawson playing further up the ground. He's already shown an ability to just kind of be everywhere. Yeah, just kind of do everything. I went back in Jake Saligo to have more of that Laird-type role, honestly. I, I could see that. Looking at their other big possession getters, Rory Sloan was huge last week, and uh, Lachlan Scholl had 23, so those two could also pick up some of the slack. I, I think it would be between Sloan and Saligo, in all honesty. I've started to see Saligo as more of that in-the-guts type player that you would want to supplement Laird sometimes. So this could be a real proven game for him as a main midfielder. Collingwood are favored by 8.5, and given the injury situation, I'm more behind that than I would be otherwise, even though they'll be coming off just four days rest. Yeah, I think, you know, Laird's status and will probably shift this line pretty aggressively. Laird's going to be named, but it's doubtful at the same time. So let's see how late that move is made. Is Matthew Nix going to go total Chris Scott on us here? All right, time to predict the main character for this week. You want to go first, Ethan? Let's see. Who's playing against their former club this week? Billy Frampton is a big one there. I think that that's the one that really stands out to me, or it could be Darcy Parrish against his future club. I guess, fine, let's go. Let's go Billy Frampton. I was honestly thinking about him a lot in terms of this matchup too, because he's going to end up having an important assignment, being that strong second or third defender, depending on Murphy's status and also providing that ruck support. He was a player that I focused on when I rewatched the Anzac game ahead of our previous episode, our round six recap. And I really liked the signs for him. I was unsure of him a lot last year, but he's got the right mix of opportunities at Collingwood without having to have such an important role compared to what he had to be in the back line for Adelaide. I also think every time I think of him, I think of Stan Marsh's grandpa calling him Billy. So uh, Benjamin, who's your main character? Toby Green's going to get suspended. All right. That's just about going to do it for this episode. You can find us. Oh, shit. Wister here. Yeah, this is what happens when we record this episode as late as we do. But, uh, yeah. Um, so I guess this is just going to be a list update um, on the fly here. This is just very quickly looking through the teams. Let's see how right we were in some of our assessments. Charlie Dixon's back. Yeah, I expected that. So, ooh, Jace Burgoyne in. Yeah, so Burgoyne's going to be that extra defensive support there. He slots right in at half back, and Darcy Byrne-Jones stays at half forward. Burton named on the interchange bench, which is perfect for a guy that I expect is going to be going between the 50s. Ooh, we do have a change for the Lions. Ryan Lester in for Dara Joyce. Okay, so this is the first action for my Lions sleeper for the year. Someone who I always thought had been a next man up. Now he's finally getting that chance. Was really impressed again by Jack Payne being that extra defender last round. So I'd like for him to stay in that role and Andrews to draw more of a main assignment at center half back. 
for Frio. Oh, let's fucking go. Nathan O'Driscoll's in. O'Driscoll and Sam Switkowski making a quick return. Both of their calf injuries. O'Driscoll's going to have that wing assignment clearly. I think that's going to be nice for them to kind of combine to counteract Freddie's absence. Uh, Sydney, Tom McCartan's in, Buddy's in, Angus Sheldrick is the other end. Uh, GWS, Toby Bedford will make a season debut. Tom Greensback and Callum Brown is in, which probably means he's going to be a defense. Uh, he's named on the bench, but he's been doing more defensive work. I think I sent you a chase down tackle that he had in the reserves recently. Is he could develop into a good defender, but he's such a good forward. This just isn't necessary. What, are they going to, like, keep moving him and Himmelberg around every quarter? Um, this is going to be Sheldrick's third game. Well, second actual game because he was an unused sub round two last year super pumped that Bedford's getting in I've been wanting to see him have a best 18 role it's something that I anticipated when I saw the move to GWS and he slots right in the full forward line along with Toby Green and Jesse Hogan double Toby action forward really nothing of surprise for the Bulldogs but Hawthorne five ins this week well, we knew about Ramsden, Weddle, Lewis. We expected Day, Josh Ward coming in as well. Ken McKenzie's omission is a bit surprising, but he could be the sub. I mean, any of the Ed Long also omitted. I, that's a, that one's not a huge shock. That's a straight up omission there. Denver Granger Barras is kind of a fringe guy as is. Uh, Connor McDonald. I'm a little surprised about that one. Just looking at Connor McDonald's headshot, he kind of looks like Dodgers outfielder and San Mateo County native James Alpin. On whom you did a piece. You did a really nice job on that one. Bazlanka is in, by the way, for the dogs. That was the no surprise. Um, Harrison Petty is out concussed. Josh Jackie is straight up in. Good for him. Yeah, straight in. Best 18. Adam Naujai Simpkin is in along with Callan Colvin-Jones. Darcy Tucker being omitted along with Will Phillips and Daniel. Howard Phillips have both had time. I think actually all three of those guys, Tucker, Phillips, and Howe, have had sub opportunities. Hell, Greenwood has as well. So North could go in any direction there. Bunga is in for the Eagles, thank goodness. And so is Xavier O'Neal. Good that O'Neal's going to be back. Not a fan of Rhett Bazo being omitted. I thought that he would have had a real role to play against Carlton's forward six. I guess that's really backing in Josh Rotham then for a center halfback assignment. Um, yes, Wolf, but holy cow. Damn, doc. the doctor is back in already. Also, um, I mean, I I'm just really happy about that. Someone who hasn't been able to catch a lot of breaks in the past few years between just being at Carlton and going through cancer multiple times. So please stay healthy, Sam. Also, Brody Kemp is in, Lachlan Cowan being managed. I'm okay with that. He's listed as a sub. I wasn't super high on Cowan. But for a young guy to be listed as managed instead of omitted, that screams he's going to be the sub, or else you're just saying it to be nice. I mean, Matt Kennedy is listed as omitted, and he's now listed as a defender on the Carlton website. And I know Blues fans in general are displeased by him shifting back into that role. I like that Carlton should have. A pretty complete back six, though, for this one. Tom McConey's named as an emergency, but he won't be the sub. Looking at the, the Sunday games, it's just uh, the extended benches right now, so not a whole lot to read into in terms of that group of eight. I mean, anything intriguing you from the uh, 18 listed for any of these? Uh, ooh, Dyson Heppel straight up managed. And Cameron Guthrie out injured toe injury, so that's how Jed Buse gets in. Uh, for now, John Sagler is just listed on that extended bench, along with Sam Simpson. That's also where Buse is listed. I would assume the bench is going to end up being Bose, Sagler, Buse, and Henry. And that is either Brune or Simpson as the sub. If on Soto straight in for the Tigers, he'll have his first action of the year. Who Dion Presti a man it? Well, that changes things. Uh, I'm going to reverse that fantasy transaction. Levi Casville listed as rested instead of managed, well, that's basically the same thing. Matt Crouch is on that extended bench for the Crows. Laird, as I mentioned, is being named, so everything makes sense there. And Nathan Murphy has been named at center halfback for the Pies. So, uh, just a little extra thing there at the end, just with the lateness of it all. No uh, overdubs required from me, just getting it out there in the open and getting a nice instant reaction from us. 
which is rare. We usually, you know, have all of our notes set, really think about our talking points beforehand. But hopefully in the coming weeks, we'll be able to do this a few more times where we'll record the preview on our Tuesday night and then get that up and then lists come out early on our Thursday and we can just do like a Insta reaction list of mania thing when it's when it's warranted or even if it's not warranted just to do a little like 10 minute buffer yeah we did that a couple times last year but uh yeah now I guess we'll be closing things out so bring back the music um I don't know why I'm telling myself that but find us on Twitter at Americans Footy me at Castle Media no I'm at Castle Media you're at BenjaminHK01, and of course, Brian Harambe, who is sleeping right here, is on Instagram at Kathleen Brian. I want to see how you react to that, because I've done it accidentally once or twice, and I've made sure to just edit it out. But, uh, but you played along well with that. Um, so we'll catch you in a few days' time for the Round 7 recap. 